and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How's it going? It's going well, as well as it can be. We were just joking about some other stuff right before recording, but uh, here we are, Tuesday afternoon, once again, not our usual recording time, although we seem to be recording at this time more often recently, but uh, we were supposed to record last Friday and some last second stuff came up. So here we are, we're getting it done, we're going to record it's 3.48 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon, and this episode will be dropping at midnight on Wednesday. So, let's get to it. All right. All right. All right. What's new? What are you up to? How's it going? Well, everything's going well. Uh, we had our last uh, kickboxing session with Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham and Herman Baltazar this past Saturday with our uh, Dance Academy students out at the beach. It was a great session. Always love seeing um, PD work with the students multiple times. Right. Kind of uh, get in that final fifth and sixth session uh, and getting them close together. You can really see their growth, see their confidence, see them having fun, seeing them kind of being kids outside of the, the studio. And, you know, Petey's just such a great teacher. And and while Petey's working on them and working working and having fun, Herman's doing all these trick kicks. It's it's really, it was really a good Saturday. Always a pleasure to have them uh, join us. And it, it's my worlds collide a little bit when those things happen. Love it. Love to hear it. Uh, yeah, it's cool that when they get multiple sessions, even if it's spaced out like it is for them, it's not like it's every week, you can see the progression. You can see the yeah. improvement. You can see the increase in confidence, right? Which Absolutely. is part of the reason that you even first initiated this program at Colburn. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was the uh, idea of both you and James, your previous boss, as a way to help with confidence on stage, but particularly with the male dancers and being able to express that masculine side of dance that is needed. And I feel it was actually quite easy for them. When I was working with them, we're talking a couple years back, once they got to hitting the pads, it was easy for them to embrace that side, right? Absolutely. You know, they, these, these young men, they, they are, I mean... I think there's quite often a mistake of, oh, you know, dancing's feminine, this and that. But the thing you have to remember is, especially within ballet, ballet dancers of both genders are in extremely good shape. And these young men, boy, could they hit the pads. Like, they were strong. They were physically capable. They were flexible. They had to learn the body mechanics, which is definitely different than ballet. But they bring in all the tools to be able to be successful. And even when I got to work with them, it was really cool to see them not only enjoying themselves, but really embrace that more kind of hard style. Absolutely. And, and you know what's... Uh... I think the first year we did it, it was just exclusively for our uh, five men who were enrolled in the program at that time. And and I think our second year, we uh, we expanded it. It was our second year that we expanded it to the women. And, you know, it's just great to see them grow in confidence and and in voicing uh, just kind of you, you get you get them expressing themselves in ways that maybe for a new student to the dance academy to the Colburn School, uh, they might uh, they might come in a little timid, might come in with some um, some ideas of it's best to be a follower, not a leader. And you know the one thing that I really appreciated about Jennifer and James, uh, they wanted. They wanted uh, to build leaders in the arts world, whether they were leaders within a dance company, leaders administratively, or leaders outside of the dance world, but uh, sort of uh, understanding the importance of art and uh, advocating for art uh, in their lives outside of dance. And that's one thing that we found that kickboxing did. It's it's the confidence to express themselves on stage, but also the confidence to to realize that they have this strength that maybe was never shown to them before. And thanks to the Mitts, thanks to you, thanks to Petey, thanks to Herman, um, they they realize that they have they have this voice within them. And it it's it's the effect you see with each of them uh, as they graduate with the program, thanks to the way the whole program's set up, but also thanks to the kickboxing element. It's just it's just great to see someone who came in timid or quiet. Maybe they weren't timid, but they were, you know, they they were biting their tongues. 
uh, so to speak, and then graduating as as people who knew how to articulate what they wanted from life. Very well put. And that's that reminder that everyone's martial arts journey is different. Everyone's reason for go- getting into the martial arts is different. Some people, they have no intention of fighting, obviously, or even learning how to defend themselves. That's not the point. Sometimes it's just finding a physical outlet. It's finding a new way to express yourself. That's why the term is martial art. And there's going to be certain styles that are way more art, certain styles that are way more martial. Sometimes it's like 99% martial. It's like, you know, MMA. Sometimes it's 99% art, you know, much more like something like wushu or performance-based or even like capoeira. Uh, you know, then there's ones that are in the middle, in between, like maybe a traditional martial art, which is grounded in self-defense. I mean, that's its root, but at the same time has a lot more of the art aspect, whether it's like Bushido and the kata and so forth and so forth. So everyone's journey is different. And, you know, I think occasionally there's this misconception, especially if you are embracing one side of the martial arts. Is there an alarm going off? Yes, there is. Oh, I thought I was hearing things. I was like, what the heck? Uh, (laughs) Huh. And the person whose alarm is going off may not be in the office, so may continue to go off. How about uh, I go turn it off? Let's go turn it off. I know martial arts. Don't do that again. (laughs) <laughs> and we're back. That was, I, it was so weird. I thought I was hearing things. Then I thought, oh, it was coming from the bedroom. But I was like, wait, no, Jessica has all of her devices with her at work. Anywho, <laughs> back to where we were. So yeah, there's this misconception, like, you know, especially if let's say nowadays also there's like, you know, young people that get straight into MMA. They're not even learning a traditional martial arts. They're going to like a MMA gym and maybe any of the other stuff they would look at or say a more art-based style as what's the point or that's flowery, that's stupid. But, you know, their choice of getting into it is more of an athletic endeavor, whereas other people, it may just be like a traditional kung fu system. You you watch kung fu movies, you want to learn kung fu, and sometimes that's all you want is the art aspect of it. Other times, maybe you do want to learn some self-defense, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just cool to see different perspectives of the martial arts journey. I I would would. I completely agree with that. And the film we discuss later has has kind of a extensive journey with that has a few winding turns along it that that and that's what I like about that's what I love about martial art films. It's so many of them have lessons, but they don't have to be like moral lessons that hit you in the face. It's just the the journey of a character through through the through the fighting arts, through the martial arts and that's essentially what we're talking about here. Like martial arts has many different paths. And the idea is to get from your point A to your point B uh, along this martial art path. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk about our film today once we get to that. So martial arts movie news. What do we have today? (laughs) We have a big one we're going to talk about, but do you have any smaller ones or anything else you thought of or anything else that's caught your eye throughout the week? Uh, well, I will say that as far as like, uh, martial arts action Twitter is concerned, we had a, a pretty, a pretty nice week with engagement. Um, we crossed, uh, the thousand follower mark, which we greatly appreciate. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a lot of it is due to a series of gifts that I was posting in response to uh, starting with Jim Kata and working my way up to uh, Yun Biao Kick, the, the famous Yun Biao Kick from Writing Wrongs. Uh, and it was really nice to see that kind of response for that kind of athletic and artistic display. Um, and it just, uh, yeah, that that's what's going on in the world of Twitter, which is, of course... An app on a phone, which is not necessarily the whole world, but at the same time, it kind of connects us across the world. And it's really great to see engagement from all around. It's been very, very, very heartwarming. And that's the cool part of social media that I like, the ability to connect people, especially with similar interests and so forth. And the reason why I've still held on to social media, the main reason is for this podcast. It's just a shame that for all the great interactions and connectivity it brings, then there's also this 
very toxic element. And, you know, all the algorithm-based targeting of whether it's advertisements or pessimistic news, et cetera, et cetera. But that is the positive kind of news we need. And we love all of our followers. Thank you so much for the support and the continued support. Remember, tell your friends about us. But should we get to the big martial arts movie news? Absolutely. Okay. So, Donnie Yen. Oh, Donnie Yen. (laughs) Donnie Yen makes an announcement on social media last week uh, about some upcoming films through his... Uh, production company, uh, Bullet Pictures, I believe. So uh, he also has it as, uh, as hashtag Super Bullet Pictures, but I think it's just Bullet Pictures. So he's announced three movies they're going to be doing. One is mm-hmm. called Misjudgment, and it looks like he might be playing a judge because it's a very stylistic cover, looks very cool, and you kind of just see the end of a judge's robe and the traditional wig as found in the British court system coming, uh, or that you know Hong Kong, I believe, still utilizes. Uh, to some extent. So who knows? Maybe it's a political thriller, hopefully with some action, a la righting wrongs, right? That's what I was thinking. The moment I saw that, I, I felt like it. there was innuendo towards a righting wrongs type of scenario. There we go. So nothing but excited for that. Heck yeah. The second one, Flashpoint Resurgence. And the cover mm. is almost looks like an AI generated image, but Cool two guys fighting, a roundhouse kick, kind of somebody like almost jump kicking, blocking, some broken handcuffs, police line uh, tape. And, you know, if it's anything like the original Flashpoint, we can only pray and hope because, once again, greatest fight scene of all time, according to both you and myself. And, you know, one of the greatest displays of modern martial arts action, obviously in the 21st century, the greatest uh, display of MMA on screen still to this day. And on social media, Donnie Yen asked Scott Atkins, you joining question mark when Scott Atkins commented on it. Yes. So, Oh, could you imagine, could you imagine a Donnie Yen, Colin Cho style fight <laughs> with Donnie Yen and Scott Atkins? I would no, love it. No special effects, no wire work. No, Cause honestly I was, disappointed in their fight from Yip Man 4, but I was just disappointed in that whole movie. I would want a grounded in reality fight between the two of them, which could be phenomenal. Have the same team that did Flashpoint. So you would need Donnie, you would need Kenji, and uh, you would obviously need, uh, oh my gosh, John Salviti. Pardon me for uh, drawing a blank on his name. John Salviti, uh, bring them all back for that choreography. Oh man, it'd be amazing. So that one, oh, go ahead. No, so, and I think we, I think we've, uh, we've discussed like Wheels on Meals, Spartan X mm-hmm. being one of the great fight scenes of all times. And then of course there's the Dragons Forever fight scene with Jackie Chan and ben, uh, Benny the Jet, where both those films kind of feature the same, you know, they both feature Jackie Chan, and Benny the Jet, and both fights just stand up uh, amongst amongst giants amongst uh i don't know and average i would be totally down for that too because the dragons forever fight is still top 10 fight scene of all time some people absolutely so even if this film even if this film uh um has a pinnacle fight sequence that comes in just slightly below or slightly parallel to to I would be elated and I would watch it for decades. Exactly. Okay. So that one, once again, heck yeah, 100% down for it. <laughs> and then the last film that was announced, Yip Man 5. <laughs> now, for I'm assuming most of our listeners have seen the Yip Man series one through four. In fact, there's a lot of recreational folk or I, sh- I guess I should say, not necessarily genre fans that have seen most of the Yip Man movies. They've had a lot of exposure on Netflix, uh, in America. So I'd say the ca- most of the casual fans have seen all the IP Man movies, as they like to call them. So n- there's no spoilers here. Yip Man 4 concludes 
with the death of Yip Man, because once again, it's based off the real life figure, even though the films, even since the first one, but we'll give first one the benefit of the doubt. But starting with number two, they are 99% fiction with the last one just being 100% fiction. The only (laughs) accurate thing they got right is the fact that he died uh, in real life. And I mean, they even have Bruce Lee showing up at his funeral. And as we all famously know, Bruce Lee was not at Yip Man's funeral. There's a lot of different speculation as to why, but we won't get into that. So, Yip Man 5. Now, sure, could they have the film based at a different point in time, like maybe in between three and four, or maybe, I don't know, after four, but before he dies, even though they have him in ailing health, I believe Mm -hmm. they officially say he has cancer and stuff in Yip Man 4. So it's not like it's not possible, but I've, you know, they concluded the series. The film was highly successful. You bring in Scott Atkins in there. You got Vanessa Wu. You got a bunch of other people. It's this big extravagant movie. You've got Bruce Lee as a kind of a major supporting character. You have Yip Man going to America, which obviously never happened. But and then it's like they conclude it. It's like, all right, we've milked this thing dry. This is the end of the series. It's a major cash cow, but we're finally calling it a day. And I was like, okay, good. Now, I went and saw it in theaters. It was right before lockdown. I was like, I'm going to go support it. Did I enjoy it? No. Did I enjoy number three? No, I didn't like number three. I haven't liked the action since Sammo left, even though I love Yuen Ping. Just haven't felt that the the films were the same since Sammo left. Sammo is the Wing Chun choreographer. Highly enjoyed one and two. Uh, I still feel, I mean, number one still stands the test of time 100%. Two as well, minus the, the, the boxing scene finale is maybe doesn't hold up as well but still entertaining i still enjoy number two now this number five announcement it's like what the heck are you doing now i do wonder if it has to do with the disappointing box office or lack thereof for sakura being that if i'm not mistaken it only got like a digital release in mainland china they got Mm -hmm. a theatrical in malaysia i think i'm not sure about its theatrical release in other territories now a lot of that has to do with covid and so forth too and you know lack of uh, theatrical release abilities especially in mainland china but I'm just sort of like, what are you guys thinking? What's the deal? I, I jokingly sent to uh, Sifu Alex Richter, the Kung Fu genius. I, I was saying, Yip Man 5, where Yip Man's ghost comes back to teach Bruce Lee how to die, then become a ghost to come back and teach people martial arts, S- therefore serving as a prequel to No Retreat, No Surrender. You know, I love that yeah. a lot because uh, my my estimation, it was a prequel to Mr. Vampire. Uh, but yeah, so, so I think, the, yeah, yeah, there we go. But I don't know. And I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know. Maybe there's a poster of Ip, Ip Man in uh, uh, Ip Man in uh, someone's garage and the kid starts learning from him. All I'm saying is it just seems like a really desperate move. And will I watch it? You know, I guess once we see the trailer and we see the plot and what's going on, yeah, I mean, odds are I'll end up watching it at some point, but I am not excited, and quite frankly, I am a little disappointed in Donnie Yen and his artistic integrity. But I think you know who is excited for it that I, I just saw their comment on social media? Busta Rhymes. <laughs> Buster Rhymes says, one of my favorite series ever. Thank you, Donnie and Official. This is incredible. So there you have it. Buster Rhymes is excited. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he'll get cast in it as well. Oh, wow. That would uh Meat Man goes to the studios. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no. It's set the in the beats, present time. The, Busta Rhymes is trying to find inspiration for his new album. Mm-hmm. And Wu-Tang Clan, maybe sees the RZA, like gives him a, like a magic uh, lamp of some sort. Like hopefully mm-hmm. this gives you the inspiration you need. He rubs it. Yim Man comes back to life. Now speaking fluent English. Of course. And they team up to make the greatest album of all time. And Yip Man gets to show off his breakdancing abilities. The, and you're forgetting one of the key elements of the story is no matter how much Busta Rhymes tries to program the computer, the beats just aren't fast enough. Is there anything that can make beats that are faster? Enter Yip Man and his punches. There you go. There you go. So 
that's our main martial arts movie news for today. Uh, do you have movie quotes for me? I do have a, I do have a quote for okay. you. Okay. Let me uh, get to my trusty book. The only thing keeping us together is dead. Uh, no Retreat, No Surrender 3, Blood Brothers? Yes, sir. All righty. Excellent. So when did you get to watch that recently? I didn't. I oh. didn't. But, you know, I've been, uh, it's been on my mind and I'm like, let, let me see, let me hit you with a, a quote from a movie that you love. Which, thank you very much. Which is interesting because Lauren Avedon, like a lot of action stars, evolved as an actor, as a performer. And overall, I really like his performance in that film. Both him and Keith Vitale do a good job. Yes. That one scene, though, is a little strange. Like, I almost feel like they were like, all right, you got one take, get it down. Because they're, they're slightly off beat with each other in a sense, right? And it's almost like they, they didn't have a second chance or like they had no rehearsal. They had no ability to film it a second time. And it's like Lauren Avedon's in character and just ready to go. And it's just kind of an awkward scene and it comes off a little hokey. But... I mean, I, I think hokey, hokey is part of that of the straight to video genre simply because budgeting, you know. So you yeah. can't really, you can't really iron things out or uh, you know uh, scrub things down a little bit. You just sometimes you do it live, and that's it. Felt like a live take. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, good quote, my friend. Good quote. Thank you very much. Okay. Now I'm ready with my. Uh, Thoughts on the film we will be discussing. Excellent. So today we are talking about the 1979 Golden Harvest Kung Fu comedy classic, Knockabout, directed by the legendary Sammo Hung and starring Yuen Biao, Sammo Hung, the Yen, a.k.a. Beardy, and of course, Lao Gar Wing, among some other well-known actors within the kung fu film genre that we'll get to talking about i'm sure but yeah this was your idea or it was kind of a combo of both of our ideas right or i forget you had let's been... let's see how the episode does and then we'll take credit <laughs> i i believe no, you had been we're... saying you wanted to do a unbl and i think i brought this one up a couple months ago but we had just yes. done a Samuel hung episode and we're like dang it we can't do two back to back even though obviously he is a supporting actor in this in a sense he's still a key figure so yeah. we took well, a breather I, I think i think it all yeah you had you had brought it up a couple times and uh you know when the when the yumbiao gif on twitter got over over like half a million views okay. whatever that actually means i don't know all right uh it just felt like Let's get Yun Biao in here because Yun Biao uh, got seen through our uh, platform. Thank, thank you very much. And let's let's uh, let's put a little spotlight on Yun Biao. Woo! I love it. I love it. So this film is kind of the I shouldn't say the tail end, but really it kind of is. It's almost like th this was the beginning of the end for the Cantonese kung fu comedy. This would have been one of the last great ones to come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really Yuen Biao's first starring role, like lead starring role. Yes, people will be like, oh, what about Magnificent Butcher? Oh, what about this? Well, no, this was his first starring role. Yeah. It was really the first uh, what you might call starring role for uh, Leon Karyan or, you know, Beardy, Brian Leung, uh, in his first also comical role. He had obviously been featured in, uh, you know, Enter the Fat Dragon and amongst other things, but always a serious character. Warriors 2. Uh, you know, where he played the master. But mm -hmm. of course, you know, that's a completely different character. And th this film is unique because not that it's not known amongst Kung Fu fans. It's of course known, but it, it's not even necessarily the person that comes to mind. But it is truly a masterclass in Kung Fu filmmaking. And you kind of almost forget until you rewatch it just how darn good it is, especially the second half where the Kung Fu really gets going and then the whole finale. And it has a lot of unique elements to it in the structure of the story in comparison to other Kung Fu films in the sense of we're kind of almost getting, well, not kind of, we get two different masters. We get two different training yes. sessions. We get reversals of roles and character development that takes a complete 180 from what you're expecting. 
And it's a treat in this sense because it's kind it's, of like not like getting two movies, but really getting two different styles throughout the film. And it also ends up being a little bit longer than your standard kung fu film of that time. I believe the full international running cut is actually uh, about uh, so an hour and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, on Wikipedia, it's listed as 92. I think that might be the uh, international cut, but the, yeah. the full cut is about 15 minutes longer. And you don't feel like, oh, it's too long. It's, it's no, a treat. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's like you say, it's almost like uh, two films in one. It's like a two for one, except it's, it, I don't know. I don't know how to kind of explain this film other than it is a winding road and sort of, sort of like a snake's path. But then at the same time, it's also also like taking going with an analogy of a snake is like shedding its skin. Oh, it, first, you know, uh, we go towards one master, that master. We we go through almost a full character arc, full story arc. And then to the genius of Sammo Hung and uh, his directing ability and, I, you know, and the writers behind this and the performers. Now we're going to go shed some more skin and and. Uh, go go deeper in in the growth of the lone remaining protagonist by that point exactly and if we were to break this down into a three-act structure it's now the narrative intertwines just fine but if we're looking at it simply from say the fight scene perspective the first third is kind of wacky kung fu comedy like we have action Mm -hmm. from the start because of our two protagonists played by yun biao and brian nung Yuen Biao's character is actually pretty well-versed in martial arts. It's funny. In the original English dub, he constantly says Thai boxing, when in actuality uh-huh. in the Cantonese, it's <laughs> Choi Le Fat. And he also is doing what would be kind of authentic Choi Le Fat martial arts. Not that he's necessarily of extremely high level, but he's of high enough level where he can last in fight scenes. And the, the fight scenes are still entertaining, but they're definitely slapstickish. They're very comedy based there's intentional speeding up uh they end up usually losing their fights him and his brother in the end as they're you know trying to survive and then the second act is when they get to work with their first instructor and actually really learn martial arts and then that concludes with a tragedy then the final act is obviously with yuen biao learning from his final master which we'll get to and the kung fu is just taken up to an even more serious knot so it's sort of like the first act, the wacky comedy, is a level 10. The kung fu is kind of more a level 5. The second act, it balances out. Then the final act, it still has those el- the element of like kung fu comedy, but less slapstickish. And then the martial arts really just takes over. It starts in the second act because really kind of the, the final fight scenes of the second act are stellar but then the last really act are. is UNB out for revenge and then things just you know take uh they go to that next level so really quick to go into the basic plot we have two brothers now depending which version you watched they're going to have different names so really you have to remember there's technically what would be like four a mandarin dub i don't believe my blu-ray has the mandarin dub uh, I didn't watch if it does. I may have a version with a Mandarin dub from my years in China on one of my many compilation DVDs. But really, let's just stick with the basic ones. There's the Cantonese dub. There is the original or old school English dub. And then the Fortune Star early 2000s English dub. Now, mm-hmm. the first version I ever saw of this movie was the Fortune Star uh, one from the early 2000s, the redub, the DVD okay. I got. So once again, you know, I'm not a fan of those English dubs, but it, it's pretty much when you'd watch those DVDs, it was either that version or the Cantonese audio had a much lower audio quality. So I would usually end up watching the English dub anyway, just because the Cantonese version was not uh, it wouldn't play back as well on, especially if you had nice speakers. So, but now I have the Eureka Blu-ray, which has the original English dub, which I love. So long story short, there's a lot of different names for these characters. So when you were watching it, what were the two brothers' names? Uh, so I watched, this last time I watched the Fortune Star okay. dub. And so what were their English names? I believe it's Big John and Little John. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's the Fortune Star dub is Big John and Little John. Now, and when listening to the audio commentary by Frank Jane and Michael Wirth, they, they don't even bring up the original English dub names, which were 
Harpo and Zeppo. <laughs> yes. Now, I, I, for people uh, that I don't know, about that. Harpo and Zeppo were two of the Marx Brothers. The Marx yeah. Brothers being one of the most famous comedy families of the 20th century. They came out of vaudeville and then they made a series of films together. And then Groucho Marx is considered one of the greatest, greatest comedians of the 20th century amongst his films and television work and radio work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still kind of, it's, it, it takes you out a little bit when you're like, they're calling each other Harpo and Zeppo. Uh, but then in the fortune star dub, they go by big John and little John. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I believe in the Cantonese version, it's e pow and Dai pow, which would be like uh, little pow and big pow. But even still, that might be wrong. It might be something else. Uh, but yeah, the the point being that Brian Leung is the big brother, mm-hmm. Yuen Biao is the little brother. So yeah, lots of lots of different uh, names for them. So we'll we'll use Big John and Little John for okay. this because I'm I don't think I could take Harpo and Zempo seriously. Uh, so I, I have a uh, full disclosure. I, I own this on DVD. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched, I bought this and Dreadnought together at the same time, and both of those DVDs for the first fifteen minutes, the subtitles are off by one uh, by one or two lines. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so uh, I the first time I watched, it, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to sit through this and like figure it out. So it took me a few times to like figure out the storyline. I mean, you figure it out, but there are times where the line remains after the after they the characters have left the scene. But uh, this this was the first time that I had watched the English dub. Uh, I had seen clips where they're Harpo and Zeppo, uh, but it's. I love how there's so many different versions and so many different um, viewing experiences you can get from these different versions. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, cool how you get to experience of them all of them now with these Blu-ray re-releases. And as I said, I, I really the the Fortune Star redubs they they try their best, but it's just it's just not the same. No. So. You know, it is what it is. But anyways, back to the plot. So we have the two brothers, Big John, Little John. They're con men. They con people out of money. And the whole opening sequence, depending which version you watch, you watch the Fortune Star re-release, which is the full version. Yes. Uh, the original international version, the original English dub version, cut out a lot of scenes, including the whole first con they do. So it's funny, on the Blu-ray re-release, the rest, of, if you're watching the original English dub, certain parts are then it switches over to Cantonese because that wasn't part of the original English dub. So wow. anyway, their first con is conning a bank. And that's where we get a little cameo from Carl Maka, uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, who famously aces go places series and also was a, uh, had a film company with Samo and Lau Kar wing, but anywho, uh, so yeah, they, they con people, but usually their cons end up with them losing the money simply because right from the get-go, we have Samo mysteriously appearing in and out as this really kind of spazzy beggar that we find out later is because he's a master of monkey kung fu. But so every time they pull off a con, they end up getting conned themselves by Samo. So through their series of adventures, they end up running into Lao Gar Wing famous martial arts actor, director, fight choreographer, uh, who plays an old, as we find out, Kung Fu master. They try to con him. He actually reverses the con and gets them in trouble. They try to fight him. He handles them quite easily. And they think, wow, we need to learn martial arts from this guy. So then we can get him back or, you know, or use his martial arts in the future. He at first doesn't want anything to do with them, but then reluctantly decides, you know what, maybe I will take them on as students. And you realize later on why he does. It's not upfront. Uh, it's not apparent upfront why he does. So anywho, he takes them on. He teaches them each a different style. It de- Once again, depending which version you're watching, the, the dub or a Cantonese, like what the name of the style is. So he teaches Brian Lung the kind of the upper body fist fighting. Mm-hmm. And then he teaches Yuen Biao the kicks and the leg fighting. So it's really maybe one of the best displays for Yuen Biao's kicking. And yes, there are some comical bits where they use a fake leg. Uh, once again, when it's still on the side of the, the Cantonese comedy. So anyways, he teaches them 
his martial arts with one brother learning the hand system, one brother learning the leg system. And then we find out kind of the reason why is he needs them to help defeat his enemies that end up finding him later on. So they, uh, at one point, Laogar Wing's enemies show up uh, as played by the famous Lee Hoi San, uh, who plays... Uh, so we'll, we'll go with, once again, multiple names and interesting characters. So Lee Hoi San plays a character called Seven Dwarfs in my version. Okay. And then uh, there is a, another character with him. Uh, and I can't, I, I thought I had his name written down. But anyway, he is known as Snow White and he is very effeminate not only effeminate, it is apparent that he is homosexual and they are a couple. So Lee Hoi San's character is very masculine, but the, for example, their first introductory scene has them holding hands and walking away. So anyways, mm-hmm. teaming up with their master, they defeat them, but then they find out the whole reason why was that their master was actually a criminal that had double-crossed them. Then we have famous stunt actor, martial artist Mars show up who plays a policeman that is looking yeah. for Laukar Wang. Yeah, and he gets to throw down uh, the two brothers inadvertently stumble upon the master killing Mars. And then, so he decides to kill them as their witnesses. Brian Lung, the older brother sacrifices himself so that you and Biao, the younger brother can get away. That's when you and Biao teams up with this beggar. That's been causing him a bunch of issues throughout the whole movie, the Samuel hung because he finds out, Oh, he's a Kung Fu master. And so he cons Samuel hung into becoming his instructor. And he teaches him his monkey style of martial arts and then the two of them take out, uh, take on Logar Wing in the finale because we find out that this whole time that Samuel's character is actually an undercover cop that uh, has been trying to arrest the Logar Wing character. And then that's when we get the finale. So there we go. That's the movie in a nutshell and the plot. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so what I really you, – you, you did talk about the training sequences with Logar Wing uh, uh, and what I – what I love about these training sequences is there is a there is a stark contrast. It almost made me think of how you train with Petey and then how you train with Herman. When we see the training sequence uh, with uh, Yun Biao or Little John and Samuel Hung, there there is this sense of the master uh, training and watching, observing the way he. Uh, the way he guides, and then when they when it's Yun Biao training with Samuel Hung, there is a little bit more of this uh, not sensei feel, but senpai feel, the mm. older brother feel. And I mean, of course, they were in real life like older brothers within the Peking school, a uh, Peking opera school. But uh, where there's a sequence where Yun Biao's winded, right, and. Uh, it's like, oh, I have Sam Hung's like, I have something for that. And of course, he makes him jump rope. A phenomenal jump rope sequence. Mm. Uh, clearly, the sequence was made to showcase Yun Biao's capabilities. And then uh, Samuel Hung gets tired, a little winded from uh, use, uh, you know, swinging the rope. So Yun Biao's like, oh, are you tired? I've got something for that. And then he makes Samuel Hung do the jumping. And of course, that's a, a great segment to show off. Samuel Hung's unexpected capabilities uh, for audience members. If an, if an audience member does not know Samuel Hung, going into this film and this sequence, you your jaw will drop. Right. And as I mentioned, the final act still has elements of the Kung Fu comedy, that being one of the best examples. It just kind of takes a more serious tone in the sense mm-hmm. of the training and the martial arts on display. So we have... A cool, ever-changing plot in this one. We got some twists and turns. You know, certain characters get killed off, and be, that becomes the catalyst for the next uh, evolvement of the narrative. And it's just overall a very unique picture. A lot of that having to do with the martial arts on display and it being a showcase for UNBL's abilities. And... Quite frankly, this might actually be the best showcase of everything UNBI was able to do because, as we mentioned, he from their first master, who ends up becoming their enemy, they he gets to learn the kicking style. So we have mm-hmm. him just 
doing nothing but phenomenal kicks for the second act of the film. And it's not like he's doing intricate, necessarily tornado kicks or whatever, but even the most basic ones, even his jump spinning wheel kick, the way he gets air and he kind of turns his body slightly. You know what I'm talking about? I he, do. A certain When certain people do that kick, I mean, it could look phenomenal, but they just go straight up. It's funny. I was, I just briefly started watching the movie Raging Cajun. I got five minutes into it, but Benny the Jet is in the opening kickboxing sequence and he does uh-huh. his jump spinning wheel kick where he literally just goes straight up. He is vertical, just pops straight up, does his kick it's amazing air but UNBL does the thing where he torques his body slightly to the side he angles it when he does it and it gives this hang time almost like he's floating in air and it's just the little subtle things like that that make him and he was on your list as one of the top 10 kickers of Hong Kong cinema if I'm not mistaken he was and I believe he was an honorable mention for me but so right there you get to see him doing all this phenomenal kicking and he was trained specifically in Korean-style kicking under Tan Tao Leong, uh, Flashlegs Tan, one of the greatest cinematic kickers of all time, Taekwondo world champion. Uh, but then in the last part of the film, as he's learning the... So technically, it's not necessarily monkey-style kung fu. It's mishmash kung fu, is what they call <laughs> it in the original English dub. I'm not uh-huh. sure what they called it in the new one, but that's actually where the whole, the Chinese title comes from. So knock about it. Once again, it's just a random English word they chose. Most of the time, especially in the 70s and 80s, they were not picking literal translations or even trying to give it a more English compatible version, they would just pick whatever sounded marketable, in this case, knockabout. But in Chinese, the film uh, is actually, well, and once again, I'm doing Mandarin, sorry, but I don't speak Cantonese, uh, so which translates as pretty much like eclectic guy, like xiaozi being kind of a colloquial term for a guy, like a young man or a guy or a fella. And zatia like means eclectic or uh, jack of all trades type thing. And that's reflective of the style that Samo teaches where he says it's mishmash kung fu. It's a little bit of everything. But that system being that's a little bit of everything is very acrobatic heavy. And right out the get-go when they start training together, Samo has him doing backflips with knives attached to his calf muscles so that he doesn't bend his Mm -hmm. legs too much. And we get to see the phenomenal peaking opera abilities of Yuan Biao, who famously of the Seven Little Fortunes, but specifically of the Three Dragons, Samo, Jackie, and Yuan Biao, was considered the best acrobat. And here you see why. He does, you know, 20-something backflips in the same spot at a rapid fire pace. It just... How is that even humanly possible? You know, even the best tricking martial arts guys you see nowadays, I feel, couldn't do that well and let's also for a set let's just uh the thing that really stood out to me was not just what he was able to do physically but the shoes he was wearing and the shoes that samuel yeah. wearing it's those it's those old like hard sold uh cotton on top what i you know basically what we used to growing up i'd always look at them and say oh i want a pair of kung fu shoes but <laughs> they yeah. There's no support. Oh, no. When you get There's your first no pair, support. though, so w- once again, same thing. I always wanted a pair. Uh, and then I actually ended up training in a fake kung fu style, where if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I feel like we had to wear those. I have this weird memory of those uh-huh. were the shoes we actually wore in the class, and they are not good for training. They are, no, they, they're not. They have no support, and the heels always slip off. Yeah, uh, it, it, and how he does those flips in that scene, and also the flips uh, later on 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 the in the jump rope scene, like it is just, it would be easier to do in barefoot, and you'd have more support in barefoot than in those shoes. Oh yeah, you could, yeah. So the jump rope, as Gavin mentioned, is part of the whole training sequence where, oh, you're getting winded. We got to build up your cardio. And it's this display for, and UNBL makes it look so simple. So pretty much it's a jump rope. It's attached to one, like a log, and then Samo's controlling the other end, like a big jump rope. You know, he starts off doing just the basic jumping and then starts doing all these intricate flips, right? And it's, how is that humanly possible? The way he's able to go backwards, then immediately go forwards. And then, you know, a short time later, and through the use of editing, it's made to look like, 
a lot of time has passed and he's now an expert at it. He's doing insane stuff. And it sometimes when you watch a lot of these old school martial arts films or particularly UNBL, yes, we are thinking, wow, that's really cool. But it's they make it seem so easy and they are so flawless doing it. We forget how incredibly hard any of that is to mm-hmm. do. Uh, once again, as I said, even if you're a top level level gymnast, the ability to have that timing and rhythm along with it, it it's just insane. It, it's uh, it's going back to the sequence that you were just talking about, where he's doing the flips with the with like the bamboo shoots on the on the back of his legs. I don't know that that is an actual bamboo. Is probably softened. It probably isn't as pointed as. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 for sure. Of course not. But like, even to have something there that is straight, and to do the flips that he's doing, I don't know how I could mentally tell myself to do that without those sticks there. And with those sticks there, he just makes it seem so easy. Everything is so kind of fluid, but at the same time, it is doing it in this era that they did it in, it's just extremely difficult and it is 100% them. Um, you know, you mentioned that this might be the best film, the film that is like the display of his, of his best, of what he can do. It Knockabout to me is essentially Yumbiel's is it Yumbiel's Knockabout is like Jackie Chan's young master. Mm. It's the kitchen sink movie. It's the movie that, Hey, this is what this person can do. Uh, here's his resume tied together with a great, uh, with a story that like makes it all work and it's highly enjoyable, but it is essentially, they threw in everything but the kitchen sink, if not including the kitchen sink. It, he's taking on the pre-Kung Fu master style. He's Then he's taking on his kicking style. Then he's taking on this um, knockabout mishmash style it's it's a grueling physical experience that we see on film that seems totally enjoyable and totally easy but it's not we know it's not logically we know it's not but we watch and it's like it's amazing but yeah so as uh, all excellent points and as the film progresses we mentioned the first act it's kind of the comical kung fu and Yuen Biao gets to do more of the actual kind of almost real martial arts during these scenes. And the the choreography, you know, it's going to be, it's a, intentionally a little bit like slower, more, uh, less stellar because he is not of a high level yet. The guys he's fighting are not usually of that high of a level. And it's funny, it's either sometimes sped up for comical effect or even a little bit slower. But it's during these sequences with Brian Leung, who doesn't really know Kung Fu, and he's just kind of copying his brother sometimes, where he really gets to display his comedic chops. And once again, for a guy that wasn't a formally trained actor, literally just wrote a letter, came and walked on the set at Shaw Brothers and got to start making movies. And he's famously not a trained martial artist. He may be of the two greatest non-trained or classical martial artists that then became huge martial arts stars. You know, Michelle Yeoh and maybe him would be two of the greatest. I was going to ask Michelle Michelle Yeoh is your other. Just, just, well, there's a few. just to put this in context, because yeah. people people might not be familiar with Beardy. They, I mean, there are people who listen to the show who will know Beardy better than I do. And, and, and I'll say people- this real quick. There's a lot. There's a, a handful of female martial arts stars that you know had dance background and backgrounds mm-hmm. and became phenomenal. There's not so many male ones, and in fact, you yes. see that even the the ones that went through like the Shaw Brothers action school and so forth. And there's certain one, uh, even some of them with a bit of a traditional martial arts background, then learn the screen fighting that just never were that good in my opinion anyways. I don't want to insult anyone right now. No, that's, that's that's completely fair. I mean, I think even if we fast forward to today where films get multiple months to train actors to do martial arts on film and we buy it completely, we enjoy it completely. But if someone were to approach me without my any knowledge of Beardy, like if you didn't, if I didn't know Beardy's background, I would believe that Beardy had was a martial artist turned actor. Uh, but with that said, like you're you're absolutely right. Like the comedic notes that he takes and the comedic timing he takes, there, there's that sequence early on where uh, 
they don't have any money and they're in, in the gambling hall and they've lost and so or they've won, but then they didn't have any money to back up the win. So they're essentially getting beaten up by or there's a, a brawl and he's going under the table, getting yeah. hit, under the table, getting hit, under the table, getting hit, under the table stops. The henchmen that were chasing him go through and then hit get hit by their fellow Trent uh, henchmen. It's it's obviously obviously a set piece, but he sells it so well, and he's physically doing this. Yes, his you, you know his his level of physical comedy is it at is uh is such a, at such a high level that it 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 just shows how intuitive a performer he was. Period. It's really hard to do comedy. It's extremely hard to do physical comedy and sell it, and it's extremely hard to do the the martial arts that he does on screen and make you believe that oh, he's a trained martial arts artist just like Yun Biao, and his character is slowly peeling back his uh, his level. You know how how developed he is. So it just there's a lot to be said for Beardy's performance in this film. I agree. And so that first act, we have the physical comedy on display. Then the second act, when they actually started learning martial arts under Lao Gar Wing, that's where we get to see him display some real authentic kung fu. Because when they first learn under Lao Gar Wing, they become very good. They're obviously, not reaching, Yuan Biao doesn't reach his peak there, but they become very good. And then you see how excellent he is at performing real, like high level martial arts on screen. And then once again, you're sort of like, how did this guy not have a, a background in martial arts <laughs> or even. You know, I've never even heard him really talk about having an athletic background. He was just a natural performer. But also, so that's when the fights start to evolve, right? So once our two uh, characters learn their martial arts, as Lao Garwing tells them, they can beat any regular guy. So then they go out to test their martial arts. So therefore, we get to see them utilizing it for the first time. We have, well, As I said, we have a few more of the comedic beats with a fake leg with UNB out his kicks. But it's when they get to face off against Snow White and seven dwarfs that we really get to see how much they've progressed as fighters. And then, you know, Laogar Wing takes on Snow White, and then the two brothers take on seven dwarfs. And that's why we realized that's why Laogar Wing took them on as students to begin with, because he knew he couldn't beat these two guys on his own. But if he had them to back him up, he would be. Mm -hmm. uh, as we mentioned before, uh, Lao Gar Wing decides to kill his students once they figure out the truth of who he is. And Brian Young sacrifices, or Big John sacrifices himself for his little brother. Uh, and then Yuan Biao gets away. So at this point, the choreography is already phenomenal, right? We, it's, it, as I said, it was it was the kind of the the beginning of the end for the Cantonese kung fu comedy. Obviously, after this, we still had the young master with Jackie Chan. That's why you can't call it the end because you still have the young master. Dragon Lord was kind of the the first one that was that involvement between traditional kung fu comedy and then modern day stunts. And mm -hmm. yes, we still had the the you know the mob the venom mob at shaw brothers doing incredible traditional martial arts films all the way through the early 80s i mean you got classic later ones like five elements ninja and stuff like that so you can't really say but those weren't necessarily cantonese kung fu comedies they were just you know the traditional kung fu genre so this was kind of the beginning of the end in the sense of the cantonese kung fu comedy but it is one of the greatest entries and even re-watching it as i said you know i i love drunken master and i love snake in the eagle shadow with jackie chan but this film quite frankly from a technical standpoint is a step above both of those and also i believe it probably had a slightly larger budget once against golden harvest as compared to seasonal films but so once the the third act once you know, UNBI is out for revenge, starts learning from Sammo Hung. Obviously, we go into our finale, which is if you like really long ending fight scenes, you're in for a treat because it's long, but it never feels like, oh, I want this to end. Because quite no, even, it, yeah. even when watching John Wick 4, which I loved, obviously we did our episode on it. There was certain when rewatching it the second time, which I saw a week later, uh, there were certain scenes where I was almost like, oh, yeah, this is awesome, but doesn't it end kind of soon, you know? I watched this film twice within a 24-hour period getting ready for this episode, and I never felt that way with the finale. It's just so it, clean. It's, it's so incredible. It's so fast-paced. It's so hard-hitting. The, the choreography is just... Uh, it, there's never a missed beat. There's never a misstep. There's never a, ooh, they could have done that better. It's just that darn good. And that has to do with our three performers, Samo, 
Yuan Miao, Lao Gar Wing, Lao Gar Wing being a real life Hungar Kung Fu expert who also, you know, grew up working on these films with his brother and his father. Then you've got Sammo and Yuan Biao, lifelong performers, and all of their combined experience in this final scene where we get to bring the jump roping back in. Of you course. may have thought it was only a training tool, but they bring the jump rope in into the finale. You've with got a to, giant with a with, giant uh, like vine, vine with thorns with on thorns it. Thorns on it. So um, you've got to watch it to well, you know what, appreciate it. What's great about this this final sequence is extended. Uh, but what's great is again the three performers sell it. You're seeing something new with each uh, iteration, each unveiling um, uh, of it. Of of the final fight, it, it definitely the final fight. You could even argue might even have four acts, but I would say it has three acts. It's when Yun Biao and Largar Wing start start the encounter, right? And then we move to the the tea house, and so there's the internal part where where there's there's uh, Samuel Hung joins and there's like a teaming up fight, and then Largar Wing starts to. Uh, starts to win again, starts to gain the upper hand. Then we go outside of the tea house and we're out on the field. And then we have, of course, the, the, the jump rope sequence uh, reintroduced, but it's what I like about this final sequence is it does have that full arc that we actually love about our final fights. Like if we, when we go back and talk about, if you go back to our list that we made a, probably about six months ago, or so about our fa- our favorite final fights probably more than 6 months the, one of the reasons why flashpoint has is one of the our f- favorite final fights on on film or favorite fights martial art fights on film is because of the story arc that is embodied within that extended fight sequence and you have that in this fight sequence as well uh it's just so well done and there's stories developed they pull they, they call back elements of the story and it's great to see a a villain, I mean, there is a reason why Samuel Hung never arrested him before because Largar Wing is that much of a baddie. He's that strong. He's that competent. He's that sly. Uh, and that- whatever you do, don't let him get his hands on a smoking pipe. <laughs> yes, do not. Yes, and you got to watch it to uh, figure out why. But yeah, so overall, if you like traditional kung fu movies, you have to watch this one. And it's not like, oh, you know, this is a recommended one. I, I think, no, this is a, a top level one. It's Golden Harvest, Sammo Hung directed. Originally, wasn't even supposed to have UNBL. Sammo Hung was supposed to play the UNBL character. And then UNBL like, was like, and UNBL never intended to be a martial arts star. He wanted to be a fight choreographer and stunt coordinator and was just content with doing that. But he had gone to Sammo like, hey, you know, I need some work. You got to, part for me in this movie or whatever. And Samuel's like, uh, actually, you know, why don't you take the lead? And then he created the beggar part for himself. Which once again, Samuel Hung is the greatest director slash co-star. You know, he, he can steal the show while still giving, and we've mentioned this, the, the leads, their best performances ever. It's just absolutely such every, a great, every single, every single one of his films that where he is the director co-star has the lead just shines and but Samuel always gets his his hits in too you know oh, just like sure. just like in Dragons Forever and we discussed that uh you know in our new year's episode Samo shines in this film but he makes sure that like by golly you my my his star is going to put in his best work period right and i i had a feeling that in rewatching the jump rope sequence uh yesterday that must have that must not have been the let me see how i can phrase this that probably wasn't the best day of umbl's life <laughs> i have a feeling that they did it and they did it again and again until they got it right. I mean, I'm not saying that UMBI doesn't like to work hard, but I'm sure that that was a hard working day. Well, and I'll, I'll finish with this. There's uh, an, on the, the Eureka Blu-ray, there's a behind the scenes interview with Brian Young. Uh, and that's great because with all these Blu-ray releases uh, in the early 2000s, uh, there was a couple people that interviewed a bunch of these stars and they probably talked to them for hours and had them talk about all these different movies. And then they would splice that part of the interview for the behind the scenes feature. So anyways, we get the part where he's talking about specifically uh, this film and working with Sammo. And he mentions how it was so physically endure, like 
tough on them that even when they would get lunchtime, he would just, he'd have no energy and he'd be staring at his food. Like he just couldn't <laughs> even get himself and he'd be almost in tears. And by the time he picked up his bowl to eat it, like he finally had the strength, they'd be like, all right, now it's back to shooting. And it yeah. was just the most intense uh, production style and movie shoots that you can even imagine. And like you just said, probably was a miserable day. But at the same time, this was the stuff that they they grew up prepared mm -hmm. for. Like the, the, the abuse they faced in the Peking Opera was probably nothing compared to this. And that's why we can never truly recapture a lot of the stuff they did was because of the background that they had prepared them for this. And you would never want to put any child through that. So on some closing notes, because uh, we're pretty much right at time due to our technical difficulties today, but they're... On that same Blu-ray, they have a deleted scene, which oh. was used as the Japanese trailer. And it starts off with your stereotypical, like, good fortune, good, near, uh, you know, whatever. So it's probably for, like, a New Year release. But what it is is your typical opening sequence. So oh, really? for most of our viewers that know a lot of kung fu movies at that time would start off with the actors performing the martial arts that were most likely to be displayed on screen as the credits rolled. A lot of times they were in a big kind of studio room with a backdrop. A lot of the time that backdrop being red. This case, uh -huh. it's red. And it's Sa it's Yuen Biao and Sammo. Now, the interesting part is Sammo is in a completely different attire than his homeless character in the film. It's like a cheaper version looking of, or excuse me, a cheaper looking version of it where they almost have fake patches put on there or fake uh -huh. holes. Uh -huh. And it, so I, you know, it's, I can't tell if it was done before the film and they hadn't even, you know, figured out what Samuel's character was going to be or they did it afterwards and they no longer had his costume. But uh -huh. what it is, is your stereotypical opening sequence where uh, Yuen Biao is displaying the martial arts that he's going to be doing and then Samuel comes in and it's like, oh, you think you're good? And they kind of train slash fight against each other. And right when Yuen Biao thinks he gets the upper hand, Samuel Hung uses, uh, he has like a stick and slashes his belt, UNBL's belt, and then his pants fall down while he's in midair. And that's the classic shot you see on the poster of UNBL jumping up in the air, kind of arcing his back and his feet towards his butt. And it's like he's holding up his pants. That's where that shot comes from. Really? Because yeah, you watch the film, you're like, Oh, I don't, the, the main biggest like thing of the movie poster with UNB out in the air like that, that doesn't make any sense. So that doesn't even happen in the movie. It's because it happens in that deleted scene that would then become like, the Japanese uh, kind of teaser gonna, trailer. I, I'm going to have to get my hands on, yeah. on, on that sequence. So with that being said, overall, I give this film, as far as classic Kung Fu movies go, A+. plus. It, it is a top of the line, old school Kung Fu movie. Uh, agree completely. Nice. Uh, within that, within the framework of that, this is this is a film that must be seen. Yep. And okay, to finish with language corner, I'm gonna do something super easy today. So, being that we have our two brothers, right? And depending which version you watch, I am not gonna teach us how to say Harpo and Zeppo. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but depending which version you watch, you know, Big John, Little John. So I'm going to teach us how to say big brother and little brother. So family terms in Chinese get very confusing because whether you're from the paternal side or the maternal side, uh, so there's there's different words, whether, you know, it's your grandma from your dad's side or your grandma from your mom's side or like your nephew from your dad's side or mom's side. So like if it's from the mom's side, it's considered outside of the family even though it is your family, because the dad, the bloodline comes from the dad. It gets very convoluted. Uh, but luckily, brother is pretty simple, but same thing. You don't just say sister. You say older sister, younger sister, older mm -hmm. brother, younger brother. So I'm going to teach us both older brother and younger brother, which for me, once again, I, one of the you know terms or words I learned very early on because I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. So older brother, quite simple, guga. Older brother is guga. Yep, G E G E first song guga. And then guga. Yep, younger brother is didi. Didi. Yep, guga didi. Well, the guga. Well, the didi. Ni guga. No, actually, you would not say because you're you're literally saying I'm your older brother, like biological brother in okay. that sense. So you know, a lot of times in Chinese, they'll say cousin. Like you, they very yes. loosely use the term 
uh, well, you know what? I take that back. A lot of times when in English, they will use the word brother, but typically you'd use a different type of brother, like Kung Fu brother, like, you know, or like Shishong, which is like older Kung Fu brother. But, uh, and you would technically like the, the, the sentence structure you would use is, uh, so like you are not only my friend you are also my older brother wait but, say the line again i'm going to listen to the episode and get it right for okay. next week uh so it's a sentence structure which uses the terms butan and artie uh so ni butan shi wo de ge ge ni artie wo de uh uh, so I reversed it on accident. Sorry. Uh, so it's, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> go over the, it later. This is the we'll, best language corner yeah, to date. We'll, we'll, we'll go over it later. So but you also have to be careful because uh, is also a slang term for uh, male genitalia. Oh, so you say your little, little brother. But anywho, this episode has been great. Uh, and I will talk to you later. Sounds great. All righty. Peace, my friend. 再见。